Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is supported by Leslie Massey, a farmer's insurance agent here in Amarillo. You might have heard Leslie interviewed on this podcast back in September of 2022. She's known for her personal customer service, going the extra mile to walk customers through the claims process. Her agency also gets recognized for community involvement. Leslie works hard to build relationships with clients, their families, their businesses, and more. And I know this because the magazine I co-own, Brick and Elm, is one of her insurance clients. To learn more, contact Farmers Insurance Agent Leslie Massey at 806-352-7388. That's 806-352-7388. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo National Bank online at anb.com, to Art Restoration by Leah McLean online at texasartrepair.com, to Canyon Rim Consulting online at canyonrimconsulting.com, and to Northwest Physicians Group, which you can find at nwtpg.com. The latest issue of Brick and Elm Magazine, our September-October issue, just released. It's in our retail locations now, or if you're a subscriber, it should have landed in your mailbox over the weekend. So look for it today. That's brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Nate Green. Nate owns Starlight Canyon Bed and Breakfast with his wife, Liz. This is a historic property located in the village of Palisades, 11 miles south of Amarillo. And it's along the creek that flows into Lake Tanglewood uh, and is part of Paladura Canyon. Starlight is a wedding venue and boutique hotel, and Nate and Liz both come out of the hospitality industry. She has a hospitality degree, but Nate's training was less formal. He worked in restaurants at a resort in Colorado. He was in snowmaking. He worked as a diesel mechanic, and he's he's the only person I know who can bake really delicious scones and also repair a snowcat. So he's an interesting guy. Starlight is a hidden gem here in the Panhandle. It hosts visitors from all over the world. So I wanted to hear more about its history and Nate's connection to it. So here's Nate Green. Nate Green, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It is a complete pleasure and uh, something I've been looking forward to since you asked me. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. I know you listen to the show, which I appreciate. Uh, and we've known each other for several years. Um, yeah. But I still want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests and just ask you why you're here in the first place. So what brought you to the Amarillo area? So I, I ran through several different versions of this because I know you knew I, I knew this it. was coming, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to give you kind of a shortish version. Uh, it starts with me falling in love with a girl from Canyon, Texas. Okay. And this all happened in the mountains of Colorado. I was a uh, diesel mechanic at Keystone Ski Resort and had all kinds of different jobs there too. And uh, my wife, Liz, was in property management and hospitality up there. And uh, our paths crossed one time. Her her friend was dating a teammate on um, my hockey team that I was playing on there at the time. And uh, and it was just kind of... uh, us together ever since pretty much. And, and, uh, what happened is, um, maybe I should mention that her and I own Starlight Canyon bed and breakfast here in Amarillo. Um, while we were living in Colorado, her parents had mentioned Starlight and a bed and breakfast and it being right down her alley and something we should look at, uh, because Liz's background is in hospitality she got the REM degree at Texas Tech, which is restaurant, okay. hotel, institutional management, for those who don't know. But she wasn't ready to leave Colorado and uh, wanted to stay there. And, and I, I mean, Keystone and yeah, Canyon is a pretty big difference it's, in it's tough. culture, it, landscape, all those yeah. things. Yeah. And, and so Starlight really brought us down here because uh, we were here for a visit, a fateful visit, and had nothing really going on. And her parents, said, well, let's go take a look at it. And that was really all it took because uh, if you've been there, it's it's an incredible spot. It's amazing. It's in the Paladur Canyon. We're, we're upstream, I guess, from the state park, so the water flows down that way. 
It's in the Palisades, which is sort yep. of uh, one of those fingers that kind of reach out from the canyon, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it 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 actually it is the Prairie Dog Town Fork of the Red River, so it it's the main uh, drainage that ends up linking up to the Red River and then on down to the Gulf of Mexico. So it's yeah, it's 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 a unique spot. It's got elevation changes. Mm-hmm. It's got trees. There's little water down there if you get to ta- like Tanglewood. You kind of drop in yeah. to starlight like you drop into the canyon. Yeah. It's, it's a little less dramatic, but it's still a change, which yeah. is interesting. It's it's yeah, it's it's really cool. The story I like to tell folks though is that um, you know, I was I was kind of uh living in vacation land in Keystone and uh, I was a ski bum. There's not there's not a, a way to get down a snowy hill that I haven't done. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I was just kind of living that life. And uh, this this little girl from Canyon, Texas came, found me, changed my ways, saved me, and brought me down to the panhandle. Okay. So that's how we're here. <laughs> that's all right. Um, that's a good, succinct telling of the story. I, I, I want to talk about Starlight in a minute, but before sure. we do that, where did you grow up? Where are you from originally? Okay, well, um, I guess this is getting into the longer version of how I got here. But um, I was born in Minnesota. In fact, I'm writing a, a song, and it's about a Minnesota snowflake that lands on a Texas wildflower. Interesting. So that's kind of funny. But um, I won't uh, ask you to sing it or perform it. Yeah, well, it's still in the works. Okay. So, so uh, that's about as far as I've gotten, really. No. <laughs> uh, so born and raised in Minnesota. We had a pond in our backyard that my dad would clear off. And he'd run a hose from the laundry room out there and flood it. And so we pretty much grew up on skates. In fact, I tell people that, that the day my dad found out my mom was pregnant with the first boy, which is me, he went out and bought a pair of skates for me. Hmm. <laughs> he played hockey his whole life, actually got a scholarship to Notre Dame to play hockey and was even drafted by the NHL. Uh, in, uh, it was Vancouver. It was a team that drafted him. So hockey was a big part of my life growing up in Minnesota. And that continued into my high school years, which ended up being in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, My dad had an opportunity to uh, advance his career, uh, which was in printing. He worked for Deluxe Check Printers and and then uh, on to another company that was part of Deluxe in Colorado Springs. And... um, so he brought the family out there, uh, and we lived in Colorado Springs for a few years. And then after high school, I moved to Fort Collins. And uh, from there, realized uh, college wasn't necessarily my my thing mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, I decided if I was just going to work and pay bills, I might as well move up to the mountains. So okay. that's how I ended up in Keystone. That sounds reasonable, <laughs> too. In deciding, well, I, I might as well, you know, move up to a really pretty place if I'm going to just work for people. Did you have an idea of what you wanted that work to be? I mean, did you have uh, a skill set or an interest or talents that you thought, maybe I can turn this into something? I mean, were, were you always like a diesel mechanic kind of work with your hands sort of person? My grandpa was an engineer and never had any college experience, but he worked for Honeywell, which is a big a company out in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he he kind of just was one of those guys that could figure things out. And I think I, I got that from him because I didn't have any formal mechanic training. Uh, I moved to Keystone with Kinko's, All right. uh, which was bought by FedEx. Right. And so the... Uh, so that's kind of a blast from the past. Yeah, everybody remembers Kinko's. We <laughs> right. needed to print something or yeah, mail copies, something. I guess. Yeah. yeah, so I was working there in Fort Collins at the time, and and they uh, were opening a branch up there, and so that's how I ended up there. Job, but that didn't last very long. I didn't really enjoy that work, uh, so I just kind of fell into a bunch of different jobs. When you're working in vacation land, you kind of have to have two or three. Mm-hmm. List some of those for me, because I, sure. I am always interested in that. Okay. I, I know people who are in a similar position, and, yeah, they're a server at the beer garden, and they're also punching your ski lift tickets, you know? Right. They're, they're kind of doing both at the same time. Oh, yeah, totally. And so my first job after leaving Kinko's was construction. Uh, we were building – I was working for – actually, it was Southwest Contractors, who has kind of a presence here. Yeah. They do quite a bit around here. They're building onto a waste treatment plant up there. And then uh, some of the fellows that I was working – 
therewith got a job at the new Ruby Tuesdays and I, and that was kind of my introduction to uh, the restaurant industry uh, aside from my experience at uh, Little Caesars as a delivery All right. <laughs> so there's two of them uh, from there I went to another restaurant in Keystone it was very seasonal so it was hard to kind of keep uh, cash flow going the whole year uh, so I ended up looking at the resort itself. I hadn't worked for Keystone itself at that point uh, and got a job uh, at the golf course and worked there for a bit and uh, met a guy who was also a snowmaker. So I spent a few seasons as a snowmaker there, which is it's it, it was one of the hardest but funnest jobs that I had. I basically clocked in at midnight. Okay. And worked until noon. You're not shooting snow out there while people are skiing. So no, no. And and a lot of it really happens. I mean, it does happen while the hill's open, but only select runs that we've finished the job on. But uh, a lot of it happens before it's even open for the season. Okay. You basically have the whole mountain to yourself. It's, it's amazing. Uh, they give you a snowmobile to ride around on, so we were just rallying up and down the hill on that and that was a lot of fun and but it's uh, also pretty cold it's pretty cold yeah <laughs> i mean growing up in minnesota i had some experience with the cold but uh there on the top of the mountain i got to experience like 30 degrees below zero yeah which is very, at night very cold at night right. yeah and so a lot of that is just short trips just to make sure you're not blowing snow if, if the snow gun is aimed at say like a tree or a ski lift it it doesn't have time to freeze uh, until it's covered that object, whatever it is okay. that you're not supposed to shoot it at, and that's a bad situation uh, because you can, you know, the ski lift can derail and sag, and trees can fall over, which um, you know the ski resort is is leasing that property from National Forest Service, so anytime there's a tree damaged or or fall falls down. They have to report it and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, there's paperwork, you yeah, know, that kind yeah. of stuff. <laughs> so we avoided that as much as possible, but it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I got to see the, the Northern lights from the, on top of the mountain, which was an amazing experience. And yeah, altogether it was, it was great. So I ended up at a craft brewery, one of the first breweries, I would say, uh, this is late nineties. So, you know, didn't experience the huge boom. It was on. It was on the verge of it. Okay. You know, um, so I was a bartender there, waiter. Worked in the kitchen there too. I did every, pretty much every job they had. The way I became a diesel mechanic was through the golf course. The golf course uh, lost their mechanic. Uh, he he just left and went back to the family farm, and um, so I kind of stepped in as a mechanic there. Well, that led me to the fleet maintenance department, where. Uh, you know, pretty much everything with an engine goes uh, to get fixed or okay. serviced or anything like that. So that included the buses and the snowcats, which mm. all are all diesel engines. And and um, you know, I ended up focusing mostly on those snowcats, which was really cool. I mean, around here, it really translates into like farm equipment, okay, and uh, all the different. Uh, implements and adjustments and you know hydraulic features that that come with that uh the, the snowcat has the same it's got a tiller in the back with a, a tiller bar that rotates at high speeds that kind of chops the snow up and then the combs in the back lay it out flat and grooms it but then in the front there's the blade which has seven different functions on it it's got wings on the end and you got the tilt and the raise and lower so i had uh, quite a bit of experience with that uh, one of the stories that interests people, whenever one of those breaks down, say like, it, you know, it never breaks down right in front of the shop. Obviously, yeah. you know, you're <laughs> up in the middle of the mountains At somewhere, ten percent incline. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if you can't get up there and get it running and drive it down, you have to take another snowcat up there, and you go with that front blade. You go blade to blade, and you put chains around it. Hmm. And then uh, the one that you're driving, you have to back it all the way down and sometimes uh, up the hill 
to get back to the shop. Hmm. And so it's a, it's pretty intense, but, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was interesting. So, uh, that was the, the last job I had before we moved. One, one of the questions that, or at least the things I always think about is, you know, there's a romantic notion, probably a lot of people who live in, in this area thinking, all right, I'm just going to move to a ski town to vacation land, as you say it, and I'll find some jobs and kind of bum around and, and do some stuff. Is it as great as sometimes it seems from the outside? I mean, it does, does the reality match sort of the dream that, you know, let's say a, a lot of kids right out of college might think, I just want to go to my favorite ski resort and find my way there. Yeah, it really does. It does? Okay. It's really, you're, it's, you're not I mean, busting any I, of those bubbles. No, it's, I don't. It's I don't, nice. It's, it, it is, I, I would never take it back for a second. It was amazing. I had a great time there. Are you and, working so hard because maybe it's more expensive to live there or you have to have two or three jobs? Do you get to enjoy the landscape and the stuff there? Yeah, you do. With uh, my job at the ski resort, they encouraged everybody to go take runs during lunch or, you know, do some skiing, you know, even while you're on the clock, stuff like that. So that, that was great. But, um, you know, with, with, uh, normal employment, there are, you know, things called sick days, Mm -hmm. uh, up there in the ski resort town that they're called powder days. So if the snow's really good, you just take a powder day and you go up and get some laps. Maybe you're late to work or maybe it's so good that you just skip it. (laughs) But uh, the the thing about it is that there's a uh, you know there's a limited labor pool and uh, and there's always work to do so folks can kind of take advantage of that. Uh, it might be a secret that I shouldn't let out, uh, but yeah. but you know now now they can't ma- get mad at me anymore, that's true. can they? That's true. <laughs> they're, they're, they marked off a powder day where you just yeah. didn't show up. And yeah, you're still mad about it. Yeah. Um, before we talk about you know, the decision to come back here or to come here to purchase Starlight. Tell me a little bit about the Starlight property history as you know it before you got involved. I really didn't encounter it until you you were there. But uh, tell me a little bit about it. The history is just incredible. And it really follows the history of the Powder Canyon altogether. I want to. I guess what I want to start with is in exploring the property. I've found several pieces of chert, or what folks might know as Albate's flint. Mm-hmm. Something I didn't mention is is uh, when we moved here, I finished my college at West Texas A and M, and it was a great experience. So what what happened is I I took some of the samples of this chert that I found and brought it into my geology professor. Told him where I found it, and he linked me up. He basically said, well, it doesn't occur naturally there. So somebody brought it there. He, he linked me up with the archaeologist at the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, and uh, we did some uh, looking into their records. And right right around Starlight Canyon, there's there's been recorded uh, archaeological artifacts found right around there that date back to 5,000 years ago. Okay. What I, uh, I guess assume from that is just that humans have been enjoying that canyon for a long long time and um that's the deep deep history that's the deep deep history so we've got a historic building on site there and it was built in the 30s and we call it our stone lodge because it's made all out of all stone uh that's that was quarried right right around there and it was built by the Civilian Conservation Corps, uh, much like the state park. Well, in fact, exactly like the state park because it was the same Civilian Conservation Corps troop that developed the state park, developed the Palisades Yeah, you'll see state it, park. and it will feel familiar. Yeah, people see that building. Absolutely. So the story goes, the state park that we know today was privately owned. It was a ranch, working ranch at the time. The state wanted that to be the state park. And the rancher that owned it was playing kind of hardball with the negotiations. And um, it being the Great Depression, this is 1933, uh, businessmen and women in Amarillo were really itching to get the CCC there, wanted to get um, some of that economic stimulus Mm -hmm. is what what it ended up being, you know, uh, for the time and started there. So they bought this other part of the canyon, which we know as the Palisades today, and donated it 
all to the state to be developed and operated as a state park. Uh, well, what happened is the state eventually did purchase that land for the state park, uh, the Pelletier Canyon State Park, and then the Palisade State Park just kind of got left behind. And uh, they all, they took it back into private ownership, and um, it got passed around and split up until, uh, I guess, now that we own it. We bought it in 2013, in February. How much of the existing Starlight Canyon bed and breakfast property was developed at that time? Was it only the lodge or had you had any of the other parts been added? As far as the property that we own, there's the lodge and there's a fire pit that's kind of on a, uh, some lower acreage as you go down towards the, the creek bed. Uh, there's a, a fire pit down there and then there's some evidence of uh, picnic tables okay. that were developed back then. And then uh, in other parts of the Palisades, there are other picnic areas. There was a uh, some drainage, like culverts and things like that, that were developed by the CCC. Uh, a bridge was built down there. So, yeah, there's there's still little footprints okay. here and there from the CCC, which is really pretty neat. What was the status of that property itself when you guys looked at it the first time? So it was owned by a close family friend. Her name's Rhonda Kimbrough. She's uh, in insurance here in Amarillo and, and you know, well-known. She was a... Uh, famous basketball star for WT. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, uh, she owned it at the time and was operating it as a bed and breakfast. In fact, it's been operated as a bed and breakfast for, all, I think, nearly 30 years okay. now. She had two young children uh, that she adopted and was a single mom and was just, uh, well, I guess, uh wanting to focus more on, on her children and her insurance business and was just kind of casually marketing it for sale, you know, and, and, uh, my wife's dad was in insurance, so they were colleagues and knew each other. So that's how he came to know that it was available. We've done some improvements. We've done a lot of landscaping and, but to be honest, we showed up, it was, it was pretty much ready to go mm-hmm. for us. You know, we've, we've made little changes and touches here and there and, and now we've got some big plans for the future too. But we've added a couple of buildings out there. I mean, well, uh, so so those were there. Were they there? We, yeah, even um, the larger uh, the gathering we call area. It, yeah the reception hall we call it. Uh, that was there. Okay. Yep. Uh, part of our future plans is to expand that into a, a little bigger space, add some restrooms down there, and then down in that that lower acreage where I said the fire pit was. We want to develop a little amphitheater performance space down okay. there. We want to kind of expand our, our um, support of the arts mm-hmm. in the area. We've uh, hosted some concerts and things like that out there here recently. Well, we, we really started doing that pre-COVID. Uh, we were working with Jenny at HPPR. Yeah, Jenny Anzarillo. Public Radio. Mm-hmm. Yep, Jenny Anzarillo. And uh, she's she's been a great friend for us and love working with her. And um, it all just kind of started out as we would just provide the space. We've we've never made any money on any of the concerts that we've done. We just love it so much that we've wanted to keep it going. I think something that this area would benefit from is is an outdoor space where performances can be held that that's in a naturally beautiful spot. You know, yeah. when you think of that kind of thing, you know, some of the most iconic performance venues are that type of space. Like, of course, coming here from Colorado, Red Rocks is the first one that comes to mind. Um, then there's the Gorge, which I think is up in Oregon, which is a beautiful outdoor space. So we we certainly, I don't think, could be on that same scale. They, they, they have a lot of space yeah. there. But, you know, we can draw inspiration from those places and, you know, come up with our own version. Tell me about the decision to to make the big change to move here from Keystone to buy the property and start running it. Like that's not just a change in your career, your wife's career, but a change in location and focus. You both were, had been in the hospitality industry in a lot of different ways, but like Mm -hmm. it's much more intimate when you're running a bed and breakfast. So tell me about sort of that decision-making and why you decided to take that leap. 
There were a few different factors, I think, involved. Like I mentioned, this was 2013. It was 2012 when we started working on this idea. The summer of 2012 was the first time we saw the place. I was pretty much convinced from the beginning. And here's part of the reason. Liz was uh, pregnant with our first daughter. We were, I think, maybe subconsciously thinking, let's get close to family Mm -hmm. at the same time. When I first saw the place, basically, we wrapped up that trip, and I said to Liz's sister, I said, well, next time I see it, we'll be driving a U-Haul down here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, how, that's how quick I made up my mind. So that, the, having, having a child on the way, getting closer to family, played a big part. And just the incredible place that it is, the uniqueness of it, and the, the story behind it that we talked about, it was just... Uh, you know, and, and a lot of that story was was only uncovered after we bought it. Really, we have a, our historic landmark right. marker out there, and that's that's for the building itself. Uh, but there could be, I mean, you know, I don't know, ten other subject markers out there. But when we were researching for that marker, we learned that. It was a concession building to begin with, so they would have sold concessions there. It was a like a picnic pavilion too, covered space, and then it was a park ranger's quarters. And that whole building was uh, designed by Guy Carlander, right. who I know has, uh, I mean, an amazing one of the projects. most yeah. influential architects in Amarillo's history. Uh, uh, if you look at yeah. the, I don't know, twenties and thirties, like all the buildings from that era, right. He had a hand in. Including like the entire Sunset Terrace neighborhood. I think he developed that neighborhood. You can find a lot of his houses around I, there. I, I need to get into that neighborhood and, and, and do some searching because uh, some really unique architecture yeah. there. It's probably his influence. Because I know his uh, I know some of his other buildings, uh, like the Fisk Medical Building mm-hmm. downtown has the Marriott Courtyard was his. Um, he designed a chapel in the Lano Cemetery mm-hmm. and Ordway Hall. At Amarillo College right. was his. Right. Art and Deco so, sort of yeah. touch there. Oh, yeah. So cool. Those little details. So, yeah, he designed that. And uh, there were some guidelines, I'm sure, uh, from the Civilian Conservation Corps and State Park uh, system that he had to follow. Uh, they say it was designed in the National Park Rustic style mm-hmm. where – you know, locally sourced materials. The stone was quarried there, like I mentioned. And uh, the way it was designed and built, it kind of looks like it's almost just like growing out of the right. the ground. So uh, it's really it's really a cool thing to see. I want to hear a little bit about the business because I know it's in your name, Bed and Breakfast, and that mm-hmm. that term has sort of been transformed the last few years with Airbnb sort of stealing you know, what it means. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people still have the idea of a bed and breakfast where you, you walk into some old lady's home and she makes you biscuits in the morning and it it feels a little different. And and really Starlight Canyon is not necessarily that feel. It's got some individual cabins. It's almost a boutique hotel. Right. Right. Um, But you know, you and your wife live on site and, and sort of are there yeah. Uh, so kind of explain like what it is and, and why people come there, the kind of stuff that happens. And cooking the biscuits. Yeah, too, you're yeah. making the biscuits or the scones. And- <laughs> the scones, yeah, yeah. Basically, the the foundation of it is is uh, accommodations for folks that want to get away. We find 90% of or more of our guests that come out there are just from the Panhandle really? area. Yeah. They're not passing through or they're not. We get those people too, but it's not the majority. Okay. Maybe uh, maybe that comes back here in, in the next few years. We've already seen kind of a resurgence of that type of traveler. But when we first bought it, we, we saw folks from all over the world traveling Route 66. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just such a, a unique situation here in the United States that we've got a road that's that long. Yeah. You know, uh, most countries... Are the you know smaller than Texas even? Right. You know, so it's not necessarily so, on our radar, but it's a bucket yeah. list experience oh, yeah. for Europeans, for people from Australians, Asia, Australia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so we used to, we used to have quite a few of them traveling through. We just had a group from New Zealand, matter of fact, that came through and stayed with us. And so we're kind of excited to see that happen, and hope hope to see more of that. But 
But yeah, um, bed and breakfast and a getaway, we offer all kinds of things that you can enhance your getaway with. We, we work with some incredible massage therapists and offer that experience to our guests, uh, along with our breakfasts that we, we deliver hot breakfast on the weekends. We've got homemade um, continental breakfasts that we, we have for them on the weekdays. We also offer cabin dinners that we can deliver to the, the rooms. Uh, we do uh, candlelight dinner, which is a little more involved. And that kind of draws from my experience in some of the fine dining places mm-hmm. that I, I've worked in. So it's, it's like a four-course meal that's ta- table service. Uh, we only do one at a time. We don't have multiple tables going that you would find in a restaurant. So we kind of call it a restaurant quality experience with a totally unique environment um, because you have the place to yourself. You know, you really feel like you're it. And we, we set those up either out on our gazebo outside in, in nice weather uh, with all our lights. We've got lights strung up in the trees or inside our historic lodge. We've got a huge fireplace. So in the winter we'll get a roaring fire going and, and uh, still have the lights on outside, but it's it's pretty fun. It's pretty special. So that's the bed and breakfast side. We also have our uh, wedding side mm-hmm. and host weddings out there, amazing weddings. And you know, folks have told us it's just like a fairy tale wedding, and it's pretty fun to be part of those memories. I guess yeah. the, those experiences, you know, like life experiences. People joining together in marriage is, you know, it was one of the, you know, it was the best day of my life. And, you know, what we're trying to do is present a spot for the best day in those folks' lives, too. We were talking before we started recording. There's a lot of wedding venues in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just one of those phenomenons that has popped up the past five to 10, 15 years, you know, and a lot of them are, are great places, you know, nice buildings, nice setting. Yeah, But like when you think about starlight or when I think about that and you think about, okay, all the lights, all the trees, this giant lawn, you know, this unique place, there's like built in honeymoon cabins right there. Like it, it's a different level of wedding venue in my mind, totally separate from the metal box, you know, with a yard out back. Yeah. Well, when we started, there were something like 17 wedding venues in the area. Still seems like a lot to me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But, uh, it's grown to well over a hundred. So, you know, that competition has become a little stiffer and, um, tastes and preferences changes change too. uh, our, our place primarily being an outdoor venue. We've hosted several indoor weddings too in our reception hall, but, but the, the numbers are, are quite a bit smaller when we do something like that. Um, so with, you know, the uncertainty of the weather, mm-hmm. some brides, and grooms are a little skittish when it comes to having an outdoor wedding, but we've we've had nothing but well. There's been there's been a couple rainy weddings, which you know Liz and I aren't afraid of because when we when we got married, we got married in Silverthorne, which is just outside of Keystone, yeah. up there in the mountains, and um, we had our ceremony started with rain and then changed changed to hail and then started snowing on okay. everybody, and this was a. Uh, July 31st. Okay. So <laughs> you went through so, all the seasons yeah, then. Right we did. There, that it was amazing. Day. It was re- truly amazing. And it, it, you know, it didn't take away from just the whole experience. In fact, it was, you know, it was, it, adds it played la- a big part. Yeah. Layers of memories. On it, was, top of it was amazing. So we're not afraid of a little rain, um, but the same can't be said for, for everybody yeah. <laughs> planning a wedding. <laughs> tell me, tell me what, you know, j- to kind of close up this section, sort of what you have found in this community, because you're, you're a newcomer, I guess, to the area. Liz was not, but mm-hmm. you're also in a position where you are representing this community to some of the travelers who stay there. Yeah. Uh, you're also meeting people from the community, but you're not embedded in a neighborhood per se. I mean, the Palisades is its own little development, yeah. but it's a little bit more out in the country, a little bit more isolated. So just kind of tell me, how that has felt, you know, what role you kind of feel like you play within Amarillo or Canyon or that area. I certainly feel like a steward of the history that we, we talked about a little bit and that, and that 
beautiful building that we get to take care of. And, um, you know, we talked about Carlander and that ties us into all these other great locations all over the city. As far as my role, uh, I'm a big fan of Western culture, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, when we moved to Colorado, I, I loved the fact that I was moving West. And, uh, you know, if, if they call St. Louis the gateway to the West, you know, certainly the headwaters of the Mississippi being in Minnesota mm-hmm. gets you to that gateway, you know. So I, I've been, I've been mes- West of the Mississippi for my entire life, but uh, the whole Western culture and the Western heritage um, is something that really gets me going, you know, Western style, Western music, just ev- everything that it encompasses uh, the work that happens. And, you know, this is the bread basket. This is where, you know, hard work means something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people see you, you've got a, a handlebar mustache, you wear yes, a cowboy hat. It doesn't do. scream Minnesota native. No, it doesn't. It, but doesn't. it feels pretty, pretty normal here. It does. Yeah. Which was, you know, it, which was, maybe where I was supposed to be all mm-hmm. along, you know, uh, I've always loved Texas and I didn't really know why until I got here, you know? Um, I mean, sh- certainly the, 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 Western lore played a part in my love for Texas, but when I got here and, and started meeting folks, got embedded into uh, West Texas A&M university and meeting the professors and the students there, was just incredible. If I can, I, I like to tell this little side story if I can. But, Go for it. Uh, when I started at West Texas A and M, I was um, I was older than a good handful of my professors, <laughs> which is uh, which was fun because the game I like to play was on the first day of class. I had to uh, kind of walk into the class. I, I was always early to class, and I'd walk into the classroom with a brisk walk and you know clear my throat and. Everybody would look up and kind of straighten up and, you know, thinking, oh, who's this guy yeah. and, uh, carrying Here's in. the grown-up. Yeah, content. exactly. And then, you know, I'd look around at everybody and make eye contact with a few of them. And uh, then I'd sit down in a student, one of the students' seat and they'd be like, you know, scratching their heads thinking, who now? So he's not the professor or what, what's going on here? <laughs> Faculty but, spy. But, uh, yeah, but the fun part was was I, I, I got to meet a lot of those kids, you know. I call them kids, but, you know young adults right out of high school, you know, uh, I, my degree was, uh, agricultural business and economics. And so, uh, a lot of those, uh, young adults that I, I got to know were coming from production backgrounds, you know, farming, ranching and, mm-hmm. and, you know, salt of the earth type people. And it was just, uh, I know it just felt so humbling maybe to have access to that. And so it's something that, that I, I really am grateful for. It, it's just such a special spot and, and uh, there's no place on earth like it. And, uh, you know, hats off to those producers and ranchers and, you know, the pioneers and the, the folks that really kind of uh, got this whole situation started. <laughs> So this is an ad for attorney Dean Boyd, but it's also a personal endorsement. My son Owen was in a pretty bad wreck at Texas A&M right after we dropped him off for his sophomore year. It wasn't his fault, but he got broadsided by another driver and it rolled his car. Owen climbed out the sunroof and walked away from it. And we're so grateful for that, but his car was totaled. Owen was left with a shoulder injury. So one of our first calls was to Dean Boyd's office. Dean had been a guest on this podcast back in 2019. I knew his story, but it wasn't until Owen became a client that we really understood what he does and how meaningful it is. Working with Dean's office was amazing. They treated Owen right, they answered our questions, they made the process seamless, and they were able to negotiate a settlement that covered our son's medical bills and satisfied all of us. So for us as parents, Dean's office was a lifeline during a really stressful period. I just can't say enough good things about the law office of attorney Dean Boyd. If you've been hurt in a wreck, call him at 806-242-3333 or visit deanboyd.com. I'm thankful for Dean Boyd and I'm thankful for his support of the Hey Amarillo podcast. 
Okay, I'm back with Nate Green. Nate, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I know you're familiar with it. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the current exhibit, A Noble Partner, which is about the unique and complicated working relationship between humans and horses, which is different from that of any other domesticated animal. This special exhibit lasts through April of 2024. I've seen it. It's really interesting. I would encourage you to see it too. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, first question. When you think of this area 10 years from now, what do you hope for? One of the features that that I really love about it is, well, just the fact that we call it Center City. And it's kind of a hub. And uh, I'd really like for us to expand our role as center city. I, I know that the communities surrounding Amarillo and the Panhandle, mm-hmm. a lot of them come down here for things that they can't find in their own uh, hometowns. It creates such a energy that I, I, what I hope is that that can expand. I mean, we're experiencing a lot of growth here, even locally, but, but that's going to filter out through these other communities too. And I want Amarillo to be a place to gather and spend time and um, and have great experiences. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? I've been I've been trying to decide how to answer this one because um, it feels like an opportunity to complain. <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah, th- these next couple of questions yeah. <laughs> are. Th- this is where I give you the freedom to complain, so yeah. you can go ahead and do it. Well, um, no, nobody will hold it against you. So I'm going to answer it a couple different ways. What I. Uh, so right now what I want to complain about is the heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. too much heat. And, uh, you know, there's nothing anybody can do about that. It's, it's been a rough summer. It's been a rough summer. It, it, it started out so great, so nice and cool. And, and then all the of a temperatures sudden. Temperatures were in the 80s until like yeah. late June. And, and then, then it bam. was 105 for 30 oh, straight man. days. Yeah. I find myself having to like change my gear, you know, cause I sweated through it all, you know, two, three times a day. But yeah. so that's, that's my complaint. But if, if I could turn it around and say that what is abundant in Amarillo, it's kindness and generosity. And that's another reason I love this place too. Okay. There's a lot of it, probably not too much of it. Not too much. No. Perfect. Abundance. And yeah. A, yeah. And that's why I love it. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? And this has been said before, but uh, it, it's it's something that kind of weighs heavily is water. Mm-hmm. You know, being an economist, I guess I can, since I, I did finish my degree program, I can kind of call myself an economist. Especially with an agricultural uh, yeah. emphasis on it, right? Water is uh, scarce and it's, and it's so important to life. And um, I know WT uh, has played a, a leading role in, in things like dry land farming and uh, resource management. And, um, and I think it's just important to really focus in on our water as a resource and, and something that should be cared for. Okay. So not enough water. We use some more lakes. You know, True. I came from Minnesota. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have that many. Not quite Unless you that count many. all the playa lakes. I don't know. Well, yeah, this, this, yeah, this season we've had we've got more some than we new lakes. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most underrated part of living in the area? I think maybe going back to uh, some things I said before, the heritage and the history of our area is just incredible. It's such an interesting story for me anyway. Uh, you mentioned the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. I've been, I've been cast as Charles Goodnight for their night at the museum. Okay, uh, they uh, a few they times. get some local actors to yeah. play the roles of uh, prominent figures in the yeah. past. And I don't, I don't know that it's my acting that brought me to that role, but uh, it's the mustache. certainly the mustache. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does a lot of acting for you, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I've got all the gear too. They don't have to put an outfit on me. So, but no, that's something uh, maybe is is less focused on in some areas is, is our heritage and the history here is is quite amazing. You know, even going back to the natives, like mm-hmm. we had mentioned earlier, the Comanche Nation was certainly a force, and it's an incredible story. Okay, what's your favorite local coffee shop? Without a doubt, it's going to be Palace coffee and that's not because i'm a big coffee drinker 
Um, most of my cups come from my own coffee pot. But uh, when I want to treat myself, I go to Palace. They do a great job with their menu. But uh, most of all, it's Patrick and Crystal. Mm -hmm. Those guys are amazing community members and uh, friends. And I believe, like they do, that kindness counts. Yeah. You're, you're kind of located equidistant between Amarillo and Canyon. It which, is. Which it, place do you end up going to? Which palace do you go to? It becomes kind of like a triangle. I think um, I end up at the Canyon Palace more than any of them, okay. uh, for sure, because you know Liz being from Canyon and her family in Canyon, we, we kind of gravitate towards Canyon. It pulls us more than Amarillo does. But I think I've been to every iteration of palace that's existed, so I do like them all. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? So um, it, it's hard for me to pick because um, I'm somewhat of a foodie and I like trying new things. I like different places and different experiences. I was asking my daughters this and they wanted me to say Chick-fil-A yeah. and McDonald's. <laughs> which The, are, the are kids the, who listen will be cheering. Yeah, and those are the places that probably get a lot of my dining dollars because of my children. But... but uh, for my favorite restaurant, um, Liz and I have had some wonderful dates at, at the Drunken Oyster. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a really cool space. It's fun to get there when there's some music playing. Um, the scallops there are something I dream about all the time. <laughs> it's a unique restaurant yeah. for Amarillo, like just from the, the menu to how it feels inside. It's very different from anything else here. Yeah, and, and food truck, Reagan's Brick Oven. Yeah, pizza. I think I, I feel like that's been mentioned before, but man, that pizza is so good. Yeah, the owners there have become friends too. Okay. So you've hosted a lot of musicians out at Starlight Canyon. What's one local artist who you think should be on our radar? Yeah, so, this is a new question. I've never asked this question well, before. Yeah, this is this is such a good question. And um, you know, I talked about starting our concerts with High Plains Public Radio uh, when COVID hit. We started working with Hillary Marie, mm -hmm. who I know has been a guest on on the show. Yeah, uh, and she has done a great job of kind of. Uh, well, it was through COVID, we were inviting folks out to an outdoor space where there was room to, to distance and and all that. That you know things that people were concerned with back then. She has introduced me to so many great musicians and uh, so many people that. Uh, I've become friends with, but there's two that I want to mention for the, everybody's radar. And they've both just kind of released some new albums. One is Rick Todd, uh, released an album called Diesel Town. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a great album. And the other one's Joel White. I can't remember the name of his album, but it, they're both great albums. And they both kind of speak to me. They're, uh, I don't know, you may call them Americana or mm -hmm. kind of a, you know, Alt country, almost not. I, yeah, I don't know. It's they're hard to categorize, but you know, their their music speaks to it's me. It's a broad and, enough category, I bet. But we yeah, they've they've both seen some success with these albums and some recognition, and uh, yeah, I think we should have them on their, on our radar as, okay. as some good local talent. Okay. Last question: When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? Not not your finger of right. it, but like the the state yeah. park. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I live there. But no, <laughs> the state park is is a great spot. We go there quite a bit, actually. Um, the summer has been tough. Uh, but the last time we were there was Easter. We we camped Easter weekend and uh, woke up there on Easter Sunday. And um, we've got a little camper that we take around, and, and uh, we bring it down there quite a bit. <laughs> and then the rains came, and and then the heat came, and so we... We really haven't been able to get back there since then. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's been a weird year there. I know. Or I know. a weird summer season. So we're kind of looking forward to the fall, so hopefully we can get back down in there again. And, you know, the girls like riding their bikes around. Uh, it's funny, my youngest daughter, just turned seven in July, uh, has her little two-wheeler, but it's like banana seat Schwinn bike that she – just she's <laughs> out there with the mountain yeah, bikers. She's out there with the mountain bikers riding around <laughs> on the trails and up and down the hills and yeah, it's it's really fun. It's really fun. We don't go on anything like extreme by any means, but it's still, you know, some single track and yeah, yeah it's still fun. a lot of fun. 
So we love the canyon. Okay, that concludes the eight straight questions. Nate, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? What I want to endorse is our creative culture that's here in Amarillo. And this is this has been touched on too by several guests, but the creativity in the arts and everything is just such a it, it's such an anomaly, I feel like. And I think that, that that was the word I was looking for earlier, too, when I was talking about Route 66. <laughs> uh, it's an anomaly that that creative force exists here. Maybe maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I, I'm not seeing the connection. But it's it, it just doesn't seem like the uh, creative performances and efforts should be here. But, but it's just... It's incredible when we're we're thinking of like the symphony that's here and mm-hmm. ballet, and then all the local artists. Well, Andy Chase is a painter and a musician, so I mean that to me is just an incredible combo of creativity. But uh, but that doesn't feel out of place either. It, like, it really nobody doesn't, bats an eye at that. Nobody does because but so many people have that multi-hyphenate sort of approach to what they do. You're right. You're right. Maybe that's the outsider in me uh, being surprised at that kind of thing and, and feeling like it, does, it doesn't fit, but it's definitely something that's worth paying attention to and definitely something to endorse. Okay. Yeah. Nate, Nate Green, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. It's been great. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Nate for the interview. You can learn more about Starlight Canyon at starlightcanyon.com. Thanks also to episode sponsors, Attorney Dean Boyd, Leslie Massey, Farmers Insurance, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting this podcast. And thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Cindy Graham, Wes Reeves, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 316. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.